The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good evening. I'd like to call to order the Committee of the Whole um, for November 14th. If we could please read the roll. Councilmember Hussein? <coughs> Councilmember Wood? Here. Councilmember Spadafore? Present. Councilmember Spitzley? Councilmember Garza? Councilmember Jackson? Present. Councilmember Brown? Present. Councilmember Daniels? Present. You have six members present. You have a quorum of council. Okay, at this time, um, both Councilmember um, Hussein and Councilmember Garza are ill and have excused absences, and we will take those up um, during the council meeting. This time, we have the minutes. Uh, Councilmember Spitzley. Thank you, Madam President. I move the minutes of October 24th, 2022. Okay. <laughs> and that's about as best as it's going to get tonight, folks. <laughs> Okay, we have a motion. Um, are there any questions or concerns about the minutes? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. This is an opportunity for public comment. So anyone who has public comment, if you would come up to uh, the podium and uh, state your name. Um, for the record, if you're part of any of the presentations um, that we have uh, with the items that we're going to be discussing, you'll be allowed to um, come into the well area and make your presentation at that time. So having said that, is there anyone in the audience that would like to make a comment at this time? Loretta Stanaway, and I wanted to talk about the conglomeration of the proposed public safety building, the uh, public media authority, the performing arts center. Um, it seems to me that the public was told that the reason that they couldn't use the armory for the new public safety facility was because it was being used by the public media authority, uh, Dominic Cochran and Jason and his team and therefore it wasn't available to be renovated and reused when we already owned that structure and instead we should have to buy property and build a whole new facility. Um, and now it's going to be uh, eventually, once Ovation is built, the public media authority is expected to be in that facility. So the armory will be sitting, as far as I can tell, vacant, doing nothing while we buy property and build next door to something that we already own. Um, the vote for the public safety facility was close enough in my view that there was no true mandate from the public in favor of that facility and that expenditure. I think there were enough people that still felt it was too much money for too many years with too few details. And uh, the vote was close enough that the administration I think would be very wise to be very mindful of every dime and every step and every decision made along the way in implementing that public facility so that each of those is justifiable in the end to the public that voted no. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the audience that would like to make a comment at this time? Seeing none, 
At this uh, point in the agenda, we will move to presentations. It's my understanding from the uh, Deputy Mayor that we have Dominic Cochran and uh, Shelby Frayer who are going to make uh, the presentation. Council members, we do not have a copy of that presentation in your um, folders, so um, I don't know if there's paper copies to be passed out or, or not. So, oh, sorry. You're good. You are good. So, you do have all the information contained in the presentation that I'm about to give. It was in the, you know, we, we sent literally every document that we have. We sent the original study, feasibility study from 2019. We sent a February 22 update, and we sent the case statement that is going out to potential donors. Um, so, this is basically just the greatest hits from all that information. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Dominic. Yeah, it's just a really succinct version of that. Does that make sense? So you, yeah, you have the big picture. We're just going to go over like the greatest. OK. We'll turn it over to you. <clears throat> Thank you. So we're here to discuss the Ovation Music and Arts venue, uh, downtown Lansing. We have. I'm gonna make sure this clicker is gonna work. And maybe not. Faith, next slide for me. Dominic. Thanks. Yeah. The clicker just Council flashes a light in the back room. I'm sorry? The clicker indicates a light in the back room. You guys set this up a couple years ago. Gotcha. Let's her know to move the slide. Cool. There's a huge delay. Here we are. That's the slide I would look for. Two decades of work. So as we alluded to last time we were here, um, I'm sure you remember under the Hollister administration, uh, there was a market and feasibility study that was completed uh, to put a concert venue um, basically where the stadium district departments are now. Uh, the market study back then from over 20 years ago did show uh, the answer to the question of would our market support a venue like that was yes. Um, that study is sitting in my office to this day. It's two bankers boxes, and I, I do use that as a North Star as we're going through this process. Uh, even though it's over 20 years old, there's still lots of relevant information in there. Of course, we have done an updated study as well, which you have received. Um, AMS is the firm that we used. Uh, they have a reputation for being very conservative in these determinations. Um, that was one of the reasons they were selected. They don't just tell cities what they want to hear. They will tell people if it's a bad idea. In fact, the question that we asked them was, would the market support um, a larger scale operation that would accommodate a permanent home of the Lansing Symphony Orchestra and have like a hydraulic seating system where you push a button and the seats can fold down into the floor so it could transform? Imagine when you're in the Great Hall at the Wharton Center. Uh, all those seats could fold down into the floor and it could turn into a flat floor venue so you could have like a rock and roll show the next night. Um, that project was about $60 million budget to build. And of course, AMS said, if you have the philanthropic appetite in your community to build something like that, it would be wonderful. Um, and you should if you can um, get the money to do that. However, uh, they did say that, you know, throughout that process, the real gap in our market is like that flat floor 2,000 person venue that, you know, Grand Rapids and Detroit has. 
that all of our young people and people of all ages, frankly, are leaving our community to go see shows at those venues like the Intersection, uh, 20 Monroe Live. Uh, that's the real gap in our market. So basically, the conclusion that they reached was we would be able to capture 75 to 80 percent of the economic impact of that $60 million project <clears throat> if we simply built the scaled-down version that our community really needs, which is the real gap in that market is that 2,000-person flat floor venue. As you can see, some of the things that they've worked on, um, they have a great reputation. So they did a lot of work, <clears throat> surveys, stakeholder interviews, competitive analysis. Uh, the 1,000 to 2,000 venue is actually a niche that doesn't exist in that entire corridor um, in Grand Rapids, Lansing, and Detroit. So <clears throat> we expect to not only capture some of the uh, artists that have typically skipped Lansing, but also some that have maybe haven't even been coming to the whole uh, Michigan area because of that lack of venue. Flexibility of space is key. Um, 302 zip codes, uh, because like I said, the, the real gap in the market, uh, we actually will attract people that are outside of our region as well. Uh, these are the things we learned when we spoke with potential donors. Flexibility of the space is very key. Um, we want to be able to have it be activated during the daytime. Uh, we have commitments from Lansing Promise to help bus kids in from the school district uh, to the Lansing public media component. Basically what the vision is, if you can imagine the people that come to the media center right now just as a hobby or like, you know, learning how to create uh, video um, and record music. If those people come and they're working and learning those things in a facility where world-class talent is going to be performing that night, it'll really make people get inspired and step up their game. Uh, so we expect the facility to be activated uh, in a broad range of times. So the location that we're looking at is the corner of South Washington and Lenaway. This is an uh, entrance to the city that has always uh, been frustrating for me because if you think about if you're somebody coming from like Detroit and you're uh, entering the downtown, that exit is the one that says downtown Lansing. So like if you're going to an event at the Lansing Center, you get off at that exit and you turn right on Washington and it's kind of an empty block. So it's a little bit of a disappointing uh, welcome area to our city. So really excited about this location. In addition to that, it'll help bridge downtown and Rio town and activate that, that mid, midtown area. It's currently a vacant. And the other nice thing about it is like a hybrid project of adaptive reuse and new construction because right now there is a building on the block that will be renovated into office space. And then the music venue will be built to the north of that to fill in the block. Faith, is that? OK, thanks. So the impact, um, in addition to the impact spelled out on this page, the obvious things like increasing tourism, uh, spin-off development, we're talking about an annual economic impact total dollars of around $12 million annually that just doesn't exist in the area. In fact, it's economic activity that we're missing out on because every time somebody goes to Grand Rapids or Detroit to go see a show, they don't just go and come back. 
they're going and they're spending their money in restaurants, uh, going out to eat, of course. So all of that spin-off activity will be really important as well. So the next slide, that's kind of a, a shot looking southwest of the vacant parking lot. You can see the brick building off to the left there that will be renovated and then filled in by the new construction. And this is a rendering looking at the same approximate angle. Uh, you can see up there on the top, there's a new rooftop bar and restaurant component, which is pretty exciting. Um, if you've anybody's been to the graduate yet in East Lansing, is kind of a hit. Their big outdoor uh, rooftop area. Uh, we don't have anything like that. Uh, so that'll be really cool once we get that downtown. Next slide, uh, probably be better off for you to take a closer look in your uh, packet, but that's the floor plan. So you can see <clears throat> there's a big open space on the first floor, which is the main 2,000 person venue. And then if you look at the second floor, you'll see there's a balcony component, um, additional um, seating areas, as well as like a VIP corporate uh, box type area that can be reserved by um, any community groups that are interested. So the next slide, uh, this is the capital stack that we're looking at. The big update to this, you might have heard. Uh, on Wednesday, we were approved for a Michigan Strategic Fund grant of $5 million, uh, which would take that $6.75 million down at the bottom. Um, that was the previous funding gap and reduced that to 1.75. So uh, we're working with Capital Fundraising Associates for the corporate and private fundraising component. And they have a goal of five to $7 million to raise. So now we're at the point where we only need to raise 1.75 of that amount and we can be ready. Council Member Spitzley. Thank you, Madam President. Do we have this slide? Do we have this slide in our presentation? Yeah, it should be in one of the PDFs. I know you got 60 pages of PDFs. That's why I wanted to give you this. Um, can you, can you direct, I'm sorry, can you direct me to the appropriate page where that is? Because I, I can't find it. That's why I'm. Um, you know what? I think in the, if you look at the one that's entitled case statement, Is it it's in a different form. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's page 11 of the, the one that's called Ovation Case Statement. It's the 15-page PDF. I'm sorry, Peter. Can you help me with that? I can resend this page if you like, too. I know it's an important one. <laughs> is it part of the AWS study, or is it... No, it's one. It's the one that's called the Ovation Case Statement. It's a 15-page. Struggling. Stopping. It's okay. That was the risk of you know. I know the 60 pages is a lot to go through, so that's why we're here doing the greatest hits. Um, so that five million dollar grant. Oh, sorry. One moment, please. Yeah, that actually you might be answering my question as I was going to answer it. I missed the number. Did you say um, five million was from the MSF? Yes. Okay, thanks. So that's uh, would be an adjust if I was to make a brand new version of this page today. That six point seven five million dollar uh, needed funding gap is now one point seven five, and like I said, we have uh, a plan from Capital Fundraising Associates to raise five to seven million from corporate investment and naming rights. So <clears throat> the facility will be in a strong financial position because. Um, 
Of course, once we reach that 1.75 million number, we will continue to raise funds for an operating endowment. There will be a ramp up period, of course, um, until it's fully operational. So that will provide a financial cushion for the facility to make it through the first year or two. Sorry, I went back to that. Okay, so this uh, page discusses the total attendance estimates. If you, again, if you look, take a deeper dive into the full, uh, the AMS study and the update, in particular the February 22 update, uh, talks about how this, where these numbers come from. Um, it's a combination of non-resident and Greater Lansing residents. Uh, we expect that ratio to be about 65 to 35 in favor of residents, uh, but of course it will be really nice to capture that uh, business from outside of the region as well. And this is a better view of that um, third floor outdoor bar and restaurant component. Um, this will be a nice, so the other thing that we heard from those potential corporate funders was they're not interested in building something that's going to be a burden on the city in the future and financially. So uh, we worked really hard on this pro forma and it, it is conservative every time we kind of reached a fork in the road of a decision to make, the more conservative the decision was taken. The number that we're plugging in uh, income component from this facility once it's up and running in a full year is $150,000 annually. So it'll be a RFP process to work with a restaurant group to run that, but all the ones we've spoken with have said that's a conservative number. Once you're fully activated, up and running in a, in a real operating year, um, 150,000 uh, is pretty conservative. Council members, um, Spadafore. Dominic, question on the restaurant. Uh, I don't recall seeing in the blueprints, but I'm not looking at them. Is there an indoor space for this restaurant as well, or is this just a outdoor restaurant? It'll be a hybrid. So uh, Faith, could you go back to that one? one right before thank you um so it's not reflected in this particular rendering this was the first one but the area that's semi-covered and off to the north will actually all have um a four season component okay so you're talking literally like so put in the graduate 30 stories lower okay yeah so it won't be the full place will only be two or three you know two and a half seasons i guess <laughs> on a good right, right. good year uh but there will be a one component of it that will be year-round so and then you can see on the the ground floor and the second floor there's also other kind of indoor outdoor hybrid components as well thank you and better view looking southwest and that's about it so here for any questions um, I know that that was a lot of information to receive from the PDFs so there I, I think there are questions, but before I turn to Council Member Spitzley, uh, Ms. Freyer, did you have anything that you wanted to add at this point? Um, uh, nope, I think Dom did a great job. I mean, this project is definitely transformational for the city. Uh, it's in a really, it's an important uh, project that we're working on that we really like to see happen. So it's important tonight. We've got three items tonight that we'd like to see advance. So happy to answer any questions. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Um, I've got Council Member Spitzley and Council Member, Council Member Spadafore. Thank you, uh, Madam President. So I just have a, a couple questions. Um, you mentioned similar events in Grand Rapids and in Detroit. 
What is the um, comparable venue in Grand Rapids? There's two in Grand Rapids. Um, again, there's not this specific size. We don't have any in, in those three cities. So that was an interesting gap that AMS was particularly excited about filling. But the closest two in Grand Rapids are 20 Monroe Live and The Intersection. So similar kind of vibe to those two, especially 20 Monroe Live. Mm -hmm. um, we And how are those doing financially right now? Do you know? 20 Monroe Live was attracted. Uh, they, I think they just got bought out by Live Nation. Um, so they have done really well. The intersection has constantly expanded. I mean, they actually just added another smaller performance area. Um, and it's funny, I should send, I'll send a link to this too, but I was reconnecting with AMS um, about their thoughts on audience demand after COVID. And they actually paid really close attention to that. And they have a whole section of their website that I'll email. It's really interesting to see how uh, the demand for those live performances has increased in many ways. Thank you. So I'm looking at the two resolutions, um, and I, I have a couple questions. So um, the one resolution talks about um, the city of Lansing, counties of England and Eden, state of Michigan plans to finance the development of. Can you tell me what the um, financial responsibilities of Ingham and Eaton County are? Which resolution, I'm sorry, are you looking at? This is the, the bonding. It, I, if I may, that's just the legal definition of the city of Lansing. I don't think there's a, whereas this, it's the, uh, it's the grant acceptance for the um, MEG funding, the MEG grant. It's the first whereas stanza in the MEG, the yep. acceptance of the Go MEG. I, I, be I believe it's just the legal description of the city of Lansing. Probably. I, Desiree's up here, too. I think she's... Is this the, is this that's, the our, that's our official legal name, is the city of Lansing, counties of Ingham and Eaton, state of Michigan. Okay, thank you. Um, remind me again what the city's financial obligation will be for this. So it would be limited to the issuance of bonds that can be, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up actually because it reminded me of something I'd like to mention about the First repayment. First answer my question. Yeah, so um, it would be limited to the issuance of the bonds that can be paid back by the PEG fees. So. Um, the PEG fees, the $8 million that you put in here. 8.5, right. you anticipate. Right. So, so, so the, I think the, the reason. PEG fees are, um, the PEG fees are dependent on the state of Michigan, right? Kind of like our revenue sharing was. They can decide not to give us $8.5 million, or, or is it a straight? That's what I'm trying to figure yeah. out, or is it, a, is it a guarantee? Thankfully not. So we have a 20-year agreements with the cable companies um, and internet providing companies. Uh, and the, those agreements are directly between the city and those companies. Thank you. Um, so we, we uh, th those companies are actually really supportive of this endeavor, so that's why they've signed 20 years 20 year agreements instead of 10 years, which is typical. Um, so and also that's another example of a conservative decision we made because uh, we actually have PEG agreements with newer providers like MetroNet um, and one other one that I can't remember, but we're not including that. So we're only including the PEG fee revenue from Comcast and AT&T. And I will add, this is the part that I'm glad you asked, because um, we have certainly expected that to decrease with the trend of cable cutting and you know people just switching to internet 
only instead of cable, but uh, of course those companies are providing internet services as well. So we have not seen the decrease that we expected, which is nice. And then my last question, because it's getting hard to talk here. I'm looking at the resolution on the bonding, and um, it talks about um, the, it's up to 20 million of limited tax general obligation bonds to finance lawful capital improvement needs of the city. So you consider this a capital improvement need of the city? Because that's what I'm trying. Yep, that's how an LTGO is classified. So the reason we picked 20 million and not 8 million is if we're gonna to have to pay the, those bonds back with those peg fees is that we wanted to have access to cash. Yeah, I'm, I'm more thinking about the if, if it says limited tax general obligation bonds to finance lawful yep, capital okay. improvement needs of the city, I, that implies that the city has some sort of control for this ovation. And I thought it was going to be kind of a separate entity by itself under the authority. So ed, ed, please educate me on that because I'm, I'm a little confused. So we get to extend our Act 31 authority, and I'm, I'm well speaking beyond my, my legal jurisdiction here, so I'll look at Greg to jump in here. Uh, but the, the city has the ability to, uh, through the Act 31, uh, loan out our LTGO for this particular project. So, so classifying it as a capital improvement is just Act 31 that actually allows us to do this bonding, which then we would share, of course, with the entity that would hopefully get set up the Act 31. So we could use this limited tax general obligation bonds to finance actual lawful city improvements inside the city instead of this? Is that, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand why we would use that authority for ovation when we always talk about, we have so many other capital improvement obligations in the city. Sure. So the, the, the peg fees themselves are required by state statute to be used for this kind of endeavor for, um, building capacity for public media and um, you know, building our studios and all that. So um, we can't use them for other purposes. Right. So the reason, so that, that money has been coming in on an annual basis. So the thought was to bond and capture some of it up front, but it still has to be paid back from that future PEG revenue. And you can only use those dollars to pay for that type of endeavor. Okay. Capital investments only, you know. Um, we have uh, Council Member Spadafore, but I think the city attorney had wanted to weigh in for just a I minute. thought your question was going, uh, we're, we're using the Act 31 Corporation when the city is issuing the bonds. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it was going. This is the same structure that we used for the ballpark, for the Lansing Center, and a few others. It's, it's a, Act 31 is a statute that's set up where you have the city or the municipal corporation issue the bonds, build the capital improvement, and then leases it, um, you know, to the, to the building authority. Okay, and the, piece, the, the payments that he's talking about, the revenue to pay back that lease, yeah, it's basically the same structure. And then finally, was there was there some thought of having this under the LEPFA umbrella, and why did that not? Why was that not done? Sure, yeah, and, and I appreciate, I think it was Councilman Garza who asked a similar question last time, and that sparked a conversation. I just had a great meeting with the LEPFA executive group um, to discuss the latest details on the project. So um, the, the main, so the, creating the Lansing Public Media Authority actually is 
for lack of a better cliche, killing two birds with one stone for the city because the other thing that the city has uh, been, by operating a public access facility, it's more typical to see cities actually create a somewhat separate entity like an Act 31 organization just to run the city TV and public access operation because you're actually incurring some liability and First Amendment issues when governments operate public access facilities. Not that, I mean, we have policies that would circumvent anything like that but um, or prevent something like that. But um, we are, the city is bringing on some liability by operating that. So that's why it's actually more typical that they would create an entity just to run the city TV operation and public access, more specifically the public access operation. So um, having building a new facility that's going to take a really engaged board, a board of people that's really passionate about making it a success, and um, that's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be a ramp up period. It'll be like probably a working board in a lot of ways. And also asking that board to all of a sudden shoulder the responsibility of our entire, you know, two 24-hour television stations, everything that the public access operation entails. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of work to just ask, you know, an existing board to do that when there's, you know, a clear need for a group that would be really engaged and ready to, like, put a lot of work into this facility. There is Council Member Spadafore. Can I just add really quickly too, there was a letter that was submitted late this afternoon, LEPFA dropped off a letter of support that I think should have been shared with everybody. If not, I have hard copies. We saw that, that's from uh, the Chair Leatherwood. Um, that's the chair of the board. Yep, okay. thank you. So, uh, so I'm, <clears throat> thank you. I missed the last meeting, so I'm gonna make up for it tonight. Um, <laughs> Dominic, you just said something that actually I, I wasn't thinking about. Does this pull city TV out of city government then? Does that mean city TV is now a separate entity? completely and so how does that relate that's why I, I, I misspoke a little bit the back of the room here yeah how does yeah that it would probably be and we can figure out exactly how the city engages with the new authority but it's possible that specifically city tv could remain a city department but it probably would be more efficient if the entire operation was you know there's an agreement in place that these are the things that are expected of this portion of the Lansing Public Media Authority um, and the expectations are the same or different of what we do now. Um, so that could still, either way it could happen depending on what makes the most sense organizationally, but I expect it will make the most sense because I know how these other operations throughout the country operate. You know, that, that you don't want to have two staffs, right? So right. it probably would make the most sense that the, the new authority would operate the city TV department. Okay. Um, question about the uh, LTGO. Uh, real quick, I think I wanted to just put a point on Councilmember Spisley's question. We could issue bonds for any infrastructure. We just have to have a revenue stream to pay them back. Is that right, Jim? Yeah, sorry. So if we wanted to issue general obligation bonds from for other city. infrastructure from the city, we could do it. We yep. just don't have a revenue stream just to pay them back. As long as you get the lending authority. Okay. Yep. And that's what we're doing here is we found a revenue stream to pay them back. Okay. Now, the other thing I want to mention on this is what we did with the Lansing Center in the ballpark. That structure about this uh, build the building and lease back payments, you can then turn around <clears throat> and sign an operating agreement <clears throat> with the Public Facilities Authority, just like we do with LEPA. So it's operated now, but I don't know how you get around governmental immunity. 
we have to deal with that issue. In this situation, who's going to own the facility? The what? Who's going to own the facility in this situation? The owner is going to be the uh, uh, is going to be the city because it's going to build it. Okay. And it's going to get lease payments from the authority from the revenues. Is that how you understand it, Dominic? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, question again. So we're going to do the bonds. What do the peg fees go toward now, and what are we? What is the sort of sacrifice to obligate them almost entirely to a capital project? Yeah. So I, I just want to really be clear: we're not obligating the entirety of them. How just that tranche of what we get from Comcast and AT and T of around. I think the repayment. Well, you know, I, I think it's in flux, like what the actual debt service would be. Um, but it's currently coming in, give or take, around four hundred thousand a year. Um, so we are not, again, the um, MetroNet and the other provider I'm not remembering are uh, not included in that number at all. So um, that would just only encumber that amount. Shelby, how much are we encumbering for debt? Like we're, we're, it's a, we're, we're planning on spending every penny of the Comcast AT&T pegs on this? Uh, well, right now we have about a 2.4 of, of peg fees on hand that we're planning to use towards this project and then bond... Uh, Roughly six million, five and a half, six million, depending on rates, um, towards this project as well. Okay. So all in eight, eight and a half, depending on what, uh, basically what. What the do you anticipate? Like. Roughly the annual. I'm hoping we'll get four and a half percent for these bonds, but um, right now the market's so volatile, we'll wait for the right, right time. Uh, but we have kind of priced out between four, four and a half, and five percent. In an annual payment of. Um, I don't have the service schedule. Less than four hundred thousand. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so there'd still be money left over for city peg projects. Yeah. So, and currently, we're only using those funds for equipment purchases. It's not. We're not operating. So staff hired on it. Yeah. And we have two point four in reserves. Mm -hmm. That's right. Why are you issuing up to twenty million if we only need six and a half? Could you just? I think you you kind of glanced quickly. On it a yep. Ago. So yeah. uh, we have a, a various number of funding sources coming in for this project. So we've got you know the two million dollar state appropriation that we have, the peg fees that we have on hand, but then we also have to go out and bond additionally for the the extra six million or so, the MEDC grant. Um, we're still waiting on structure. I'm not sure we're going to get the check for $5 million right up front or we're going to have to complete half the construction to get half of the amount, that type of thing. And so for us to be able to have cash on hand to actually do the construction, this way gives us flexibility to go up to 20. Um, I don't think we'll need to. I, the project itself isn't 20. So I think we'll go up to the amount that we absolutely need for, for cash on hand to do the construction and then pay it back as these different funding sources come in. Do you, um, in this type of situation, is there early payment fees, i.e. if you know, Senator Anthony gets us another Sure, we grant. get a large appropriation. Right. No, typically we would structure a bond like this to have either be like a draw note so that we can basically draw it only when we need it. Okay. Um, and we'll just make sure as we go out for the bonding. This The resolution provides us all sorts of flexibility to do either a private placement with the bank or a public sale or a combination of both. So we'll have complete flexibility to decide how and when we draw the money and how we pay it back in, in terms of things like that. Okay, thank you. Yep. Uh, one more, Madam Chair, if you'll indulge me. Okay. Dominic, you mentioned um, the, the radius that we're competing in, uh, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Ann Arbor, the, the like. How do you get by? I've, some of the things that uh, Common Ground and other venues have struggled with is non-compete within that radius. We're square. The radius clauses. Yeah, the radius clause. How do you yeah. get by that? Are you anticipating different acts would, I mean, that's, that's a real problem, isn't it? It is. So it's certainly a challenge. Um, but so the way those work is radius clauses are absolutely a thing. 
but they're not ubiquitous, right? So they're only uh, certain tours, certain tour operators that employ them, certain venues that insist on them. And the way it works is it, 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 we've completely accounted for all of that in the pro forma and the ramp up period. So generally the way that works is um, there are plenty of tours that where they don't even use it at all. So there's plenty of availability um, for talent to come through. But uh, of course, a lot of the ones that do have them are desirable, right? So um, how that basically works is you prove to the tour operators and to the musicians and the touring artists that you're a facility that, um, you know, th that you're activated and that they have a great time doing the show, the tour management, you know, you put a lot of emphasis on experience, which is something that we certainly plan on doing. Um, and then those radius clauses just basically go away over time. Okay. Thank you. Good answer. My next question is related to funding. Um, you mentioned capital strategy has got a plan for one to $2 million in funding, 1.7 million in funding. Capital Fundraising Associates has a current goal of $7 million um, to raise from naming rights. And as I mentioned, the, the, only, the amount that we need to actually get shovels in the dirt is 1.75 of that. Okay. So the remainder will be um, an operating endowment. So this question might... Oh, okay. Excellent. My question then for Shelby maybe... Um, we won't put shovels in the ground until we've secured all the funding, correct? So we're not gonna, you're not gonna pull from the bond anything more than what's in this budget. That's right. We're not even gonna start construction until we know we have enough money to do this project. Okay. Absolutely. And then my final question, because it's Lansing, I have to ask, what are we gonna do about parking? <laughs> so in the immediate area, and the immediate area is defined by one full block in, in any direction, there's 2,621. Uh, spaces available to the public. Um, if we were to build a dedicated ramp for a facility like this, you'd probably be looking at about 800 spaces, which is what they would tell you. So that's kind of the need. Um, so there's 800 uh, is the need. We have 2,621 in the immediate one block area. And then that does not count the pretty underutilized South Capitol ramp, South which will be a really, it'll be a good piece of business for that ramp. Yeah, uh, and that's probably, you know, we have to work out the details, but there'll be a valet component. Um, that's probably the ramp they would use, uh, the valet service, so. Okay. I think I can. And then I think there's 800 spaces in that ramp. Oh, okay. So. I think I could make up more questions, but I'm done. Okay, uh, Council Member Jackson. Thank you. I would be cautiously optimistic about the projected revenue earnings to be self-sufficient. It sounds good, I hope it happens, but one thing that I was curious about is you mentioned that it's, you anticipate 65-35 being 65% from the local area. I guess, how would you define local area and then I guess how would you think or why would you think that um, would be those numbers? So there is more detail in an appendix of the study, but the, um, so the, I believe it's defined as the tri-county area was what they used for that 65% number. Um, and that is for, especially for the ticketed, so there's a, a certain number of like fully profitable ticketed type show, like, you know, big shows, I guess, for lack of a better word, that would have to occur and it's at an average of about one a week. Those are the ones that are gonna attract the outer areas, but then of course there's 
always demand, and it's reflected in that market study, the, the, the one that's titled Lansing Final Report, which was the 2019 AMS study, we need more event space period and as a community, you know, that it's about this size. So um, that 6535 number was like, that's the breakdown for like, if it's a big, you know, $40 ticket show um, that would attract people from outside. Other than that, it's going to be mostly a community space. So if you think about that in terms of if there's like 50 to 70 shows a year, that's a lot of nights that it's going to be available for shows where the lease rate for community groups to use it can be a lot lower, you know, and it could be a lot more accessible for people. So. Thank you. Just to follow. So anticipating one show, major show a week, that's, I mean, isn't that like, wouldn't that be good? Like, is that, you really anticipate that? Yeah. So that after a ramp up period, of course, like I said, that, and that's why we're going to over raise and create an operating endowment to make sure we can get through that first initial year. But it, it's also with the, um, it's really great timing with the other venue that's going in downtown at the old um, Club Paradise location because that's a compatible venue size of about 500 people. Um, and they're going to be open in the spring. So it's already going to be, that will like kind of create a little bit of base energy to start bringing people back downtown in time for this to open, you know, a, a year and a half to two years later. Um, it'll, it's a really nice kind of timeline to help build that scene back up. Thank you. Are there other questions? I have a series of, oh, um, go ahead, Councilmember Brown. So if uh, the revenues um, aren't there for this other uh, group and then the revenues aren't uh, here for this project over time, who, who's, who's paying the bill? How does that work? So the city would only be, you know, obligated to repay the, the bonds that it issues. And we have a repayment mechanism in place for that. So that's kind of the power of going into this with no debt other than those bonds, of course. Um, so like I said, that repayment mechanism for the bonds is already built in. I'm sorry. I think what he's saying is we got about the building, but what happens if you don't get the one show a week and you don't make budget? Who has to, who's responsible for, yes, thank you. Who's responsible for making up the budget yeah. and, and, and fulfilling that, that funding gap? So the, the breakdown of income and expenses, the thing that causes the most expenses for this facility is putting on shows. So if the number of shows is less, so that's, like I said, that's the, the reason why it makes sense to build this with no debt service other than the, the bond payback, because there won't be like a, a business loan that needs to be paid back every month. Um, by throwing shows is when you incur those great expenses that need to be paid back by ticket revenue. So there is a possibility of this pivoting to more, it, it, you know, if, it, like I said, this, the AMS planning and research has a reputation for being really conservative with their pro forma numbers. They do a lot of work in market research. Um, the, the chances of having 10 shows a year is very unlikely. Um, so, so, but, but, but that's the expensive thing to do is to throw shows. If everything shows. went 
wrong. So the, the, the expenses to keep the lights on and operate as just a event space is not the, the expenses that are in this pro forma. The expenses are only that high if you throw that many shows. Does that make sense? Like the Yes. So to, so to, to pivot like, to just more of like an event space would be a lot less on the expense side of the column. Right. So but who's responsible? So I do understand. Right. So I, I think so this, who would this, be responsible for that. Uh, the Lansing Public Media Authority. And, and that's the other reason why we would be raising that operating endowment is to have that really significant financial cushion in place. The city of Lansing would only be obligated for the, the debt, the bond payback, of which there's already a repayment mechanism in the form of peg fees. Councilmember Spadafore. Ostensibly, we're still on the hook for the staff, though, right? I mean, if we're contracting, if we're, if we're basically privatizing city television or the operation of the cable channel, we'd be covering the cost of the staff that operate this, the facility. Is that correct? Which we're already paying, admittedly? Correct. Is that fair to characterize it that way? Correct. So the, the value that we as the city find in operating city TV, that in theory should still be a good investment no matter what. Yeah. And if you're, in theory, if you're going, I don't know what a good term is, if you're, if you're really taking off, the revenue could support other staff that are not supported by city revenues. Is that... Feasible. Correct. There's a, a whole staff built into the pro forma number um, that's separate from city TV. Okay. Thank you. Did you have a follow-up question, Councilmember Brown? Thank you. So if, so would there be additional staff hired for, for this that we would be responsible for? Not we. I mean, you have to help me out on how that works with, yeah, so the, Right, so the um, pro forma budget includes, st so the, the board would be hiring an executive director for this facility, and there would be a staff to operate the facility that's not sep that's separate from city TV staff. So it, it is new employment, <coughs> but that would be the responsibility of the Lansing Public Media Authority. So for example, I'm new here, but with the Lansing Center, if it's like an event space, it's, you know, might not have rock shows, but if they don't have a lot of shows, they don't make enough money, then, you know, they're an authority, but we still are helping compensate their overall annual budget. Is this the same? It's the same structure. Yep, it's the same. So if for some reason, all of a sudden, we couldn't book one single show and we had five staff on the hook, the city ultimately under this Act 31 would be responsible for a subsidy. However, what I think Dominic's trying to communicate is that those five staff would either be put someplace else or moved or, or the whole point is to not incur any sort of large expense that the city would have to retain. You guys all know how I feel about subsidies and I've looked at the numbers and I certainly would be up here if I thought that we would be uh, incurring one. And I do understand that, but you know, to the to the community constituents, the voters, you know, we want to make sure that we understand. Sure. You know, we're, you guys are talking about probability, but I'm talking about the system and the way it works. Absolutely. And so you're saying, just kind of like the Lansing Center, we would be on the hook, even if it was minimum for those expenses, like we subsidized the Lansing Center. That's correct. This okay, is a, yep, you. same setup. Same but way. I think that would probably involve some sort of pivot, which would involve streamlining that staff. I mean, that would be a major decision to be made that, um, or let's just say it 
like another pandemic happened or something, right? So we would have to um, streamline that operation and make sure that, that you know, if, if it was going to be a pivot to more of like an event center, we wouldn't need a lot of the staff that's built into this. No, I, and much I'm of it could be contracted out. I'm just out, talking so. about in theory. You're yeah, a yeah. wonderful so, strategist and you got plan A, plan B option. And I really appreciate that. That showed that you guys have really, really went in depth and thought about this. Um, but just in theory, that is what it is. And that, that yeah. was a question. And thank you so much for this that. This is so valid. And so I would just say that, like, there would probably be, I don't think, that, I wouldn't expect that to be ongoing. I would say if there's, like, a really bad year, then those decisions would be made to streamline those expenses right away instead of letting it continue. Thank you so much. That answer your question? Yes, uh, Vice President, thank you. Um, I do have a, a few questions um, for you. Um, I was here when Randy Hannon um, sat where Jane is right now and talked about the legislature um, with the uh, cable franchise. And when that was adopted, um, we were told, yes, you can enter into an agreement with um, the, the different uh, cable uh, companies, but it had to be at the level of what the state was agreeing that we could ask for. And if that changed, that the state overrode anything else that, that we had. So I, my concern, which I think was one of the things that Councilmember Spitzley brought up before, is based on the fact that we have watched the legislature do a lot of things, including revenue sharing and all of these other things where we were guaranteed that we were not going to see reductions, and we did. So um, has that been part of the discussion as part of this process? Yeah, so Greg can fill in the blanks that I leave here if I do. Um, but I believe the uh, city's agreement that gets extra 2% peg fees. So the it's this is separate from the regular franchise fee. This is a 2% peg fee that isn't, it's enshrined, I guess, <laughs> and nothing is ever truly enshrined, I guess. No. But now, but but that but that what that gave us was the ability to enter into a 20 year agreement with these cable companies and the repayment period is 20 years. So the city can't, or the state wouldn't be able to insert itself into that contract once it's executed. And that's one where Greg would have to correct me if I'm wrong. But once, I mean, we have this, we already have this agreement in place. And Is that true, Jim? I mean, I, we, we've signed the 20-year the PEG agreements with both. Yeah. Greg, did you look at the agreement itself? Yeah. Did you address this issue? Yeah. Can I sit up here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We have recently renewed PEG contracts. I, and I, to, to answer the uh, direct question, yes, of course, the superior government can destroy us. They could pass legislation that says the city of Lansing doesn't exist anymore. Um, I mean, they could. So they absolutely could uh, undo the 2006 Act um, that uh, sets up the current franchise fee and PEG structure in the state of Michigan. Um, if we're talking about likelihoods, I think that's probably not very likely, only because that's also tied to federal legislation that exists uh, and standardizes a lot of that stuff. Um, so there would be a lot of machinery to undo um, 
but I don't know. Uh, governments can be crazy, so maybe. Um, but yeah, we've seen it. Sure. Um, but to the extent that we have something that we know about now, um, we have the uh, PEG agreements. They were recently renewed and then extended um, so that we have the 20-year uh, coverage on those um, in writing now. We, we keep saying 20 years, but it's not 20 years. Where are we in the PEG agreements? They, they were restarted recently. Does that make sense? When? Recently means when? In, in uh, the last... I've been within, on council recently, but that goes back... Sure, to within the last 12 <laughs> months. Within the last 12 months. Okay. Um, and then uh, Metronet is a new one that just came on, uh, I want to say in November or December. Yep. I can't remember off the top of my head. I apologize. Okay. In um, looking, and I realize that this is not... Um, part of the packets or anything, you will find it in your binders in front of you. I am looking at um, the revenue summary from um, the first quarter, and one of the things that it says here under licensing and permits, 1.2% of the general fund budget are established to be $1,769,300. The city has received 11.8% of the budgeted amount. This low percentage is in a timing issue because none of the uh, estimated $1 million of cable franchise fees have been received. That's in the uh, first quarter. We just received their quarterly payments and they're usually 30 days after. So you're, you're looking at the first quarter of the okay. fiscal year but they're not timely. We get them, we have to, they have to, by agreement, it has to be 30 days after their, the quarter ends. So it will be the following month. So you will see it. And we've already received the money uh, this month for last quarter, I should say. Okay, but when our payment is due, there is the, the fact that they're not timely. They may not be timely, but we definitely do get, and we have recorded that we get four, roughly 400000 a year. Okay. Um, then in, I, I appreciate um, some of the comments about being conservative with estimates and everything else, but again, having been here, I heard some of the same conversations about the ballpark that was going to be self-sustaining and we were going to have shows there, and we were going to have all these things there, and we're still subsidizing the ballpark. We heard that if we made improvements to the Lansing Center and did a number of those things, that we were going to see an increase there. Then we saw where um, from 9-11, where people stopped traveling, to the pandemic, to a number of those things, and we continue to subsidize the Lansing Center. I guess my concern is, um, based on past track records, including um, our latest one, which was our soccer one, um, that didn't get off the ground and that we were supposed to be making money from, I, I'm a little bit concerned um, about, uh, about these things. Me too. So I would say that um, that past experience informed a lot of those decisions that were made 
that was the reason why the conservative choice was made at a lot of those junctures. Um, so, you know, that, that I think we learned a lot. So that's certainly why a lot of those decisions were made. Um, the just the soccer thing specifically, because it's the last one you brought up. I don't I never saw that business plan, but we know that they were only in operation for one year. Um, we're planning on a very conservative operating endowment that will give us a very generous ramp up period of multiple years. Um, this is not like a going all in and hope for the best uh, one year plan uh, by any stretch. So I, I think that what we have is a, a history that we've learned to make those you know, that, that's why when, again, when we came to those decisions of like, uh, one, one example in particular, the insurance and utilities number, actually, you, you might have remembered there was a version of this project that included a housing component. Yeah. Um, so all that square footage of all that housing, two floors worth of housing, is still in the insurance and utilities number, even though it's gone. So like, that's just one more example of like, so that that's a really big contingency that's in there. Um, so that's just you know another example of that. Like every just trying to make the most conservative decisions we can at every juncture. In looking at the Lansing survey update that was done, I guess one of the things I'm having difficulty with is potential user survey update. In 2019, the survey there were six or 86 respondents. And in 2021, there were 35 respondents. So we're making a decision for the city of Lansing, which is over 100,000 people, as well as the outline areas that we're supposed to be attracting based on uh, 121. Those were not individuals, those were organizations that could potentially use the facility. So, you know, that any any given community organization could actually serve thousands of people, right? So we're talking about 115 potential people that could have an event there. The actual constituency that they serve would be a lot bigger. Are there um, other questions? Councilmember Brown. Um, to, to, to ask a question based on uh, uh, Vice President Wood, have we had in the city with using this type of model um, an entity or facility that has not had to be uh, subsidized? Do we have like, oh, this worked and it's worked and we haven't had to subsidize? <clears throat> Um, I think there there are parts of LEPVA that are very successful. I know I think the the growth spec gross, that used to be at least while I was here. Um, I think they have they have pockets of which they um, perform really well. Um, I think LEPVA. I think they have five different components. I haven't seen their budget lately, but uh, so, so yeah, I'll let Desiree's on the board. We're still subsidizing growth spec. Yes, at, through yeah. the park millage. Sure, for the the deferred maintenance on it versus the actual revenue. At least the last time I saw, they had five different components to their budget and at least three were, were turning a profit or successful. And that was, but that was back in 2019. So I'm not sure the latest on. Council member Brown, are you, are you done? I Council think you're splitting hairs about that. The bottom line is we are, in our budget, we are subsidizing the gross back golf course. And so I think what we're trying to figure out is 
what entity, so for example, is the Grand Rapids Event Center, are both of those subsidized by the city of Grand Rapids or are they separate entities? Do you know? Those two in particular are privately owned. Okay, thank you. Okay, we have three items um, dealing uh, with this particular um, issue. Um, Councilmember Spadafor. Yeah, Councilmember Wood, I'll move item C, Resolution Act 31, Corporation Lansing Public Media Authority to the full council. Uh, we have a motion. Are there um, any questions? Just want to clarify, this is just to get it out. Pardon? To, just want to clarify, this is just to get it out to the city council. Yes. Okay. Are there any questions? I will stipulate that I will um, move this um, to the council for a vote, but I am not um, supporting this. It will probably not be supporting this on the floor. So with that said, all those in favor of moving this on to the council for a vote, say aye. 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 Those opposed? Aye. Okay. Uh, Councilmember Spadafore. I would like to move item D, the resolution for the grant acceptance of the Michigan Enhancement Grant for the Ovation Performing Arts Center in the amount of $2 million. We have a, a motion before us. Are there any questions or concerns? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. It moves forward. Uh, the last is uh, the issuance and sale of limited tax obligation bonds for capital improvement for the Performing Arts Center. I would move the resolution. We have a motion on the resolution by Councilmember uh, Spadafore. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Okay, these are on tentatively on the agenda for this evening. Um, so next before us is a resolution setting the public hearing for uh, Public Act 425 for Windsor Township. If we could have the people that are here for that come forward. Madam Chair, can I give an intro for the rest of the council members? Pardon? Can I give an introduction to the yes, rest of the council? Absolutely. You may now have all been here, but Act 425 is what is known as an Intergovernmental Cooperation Act. Under, through a contract between two municipalities, uh, land can be transferred for, let's say, 25 years, and then the taxes and other revenues are shared between the two. Effectively, what happens is the land that is transferred, in this case, to the city becomes part of the city. And then there's a sharing of real property taxes, personal property taxes, and income taxes. Other issues might be dealt with, like zoning and things of that nature. Historically, we have done at least three of these. Jackson National Life is part of the city. General Motors West is part of the city. And then College Fields in um, Okemos, uh, that area out there, uh, and a golf course, too, is part of the city. I think there's a fourth one, but this is not new for the city. It allows uh, the township to get some benefit. In this case, you'll hear about 
bringing uh, util water utilities out there, and then the Board of Water and Light has been working on this. So Greg has uh, done most of the drafting on this, dealing with the townships, attorneys, and consumers, so I think I'll turn it over to him if you want to give an overview of what this one creates. Sure. Um, and th this team can talk about uh, the nuts and bolts and why to do it. Um, but I just want to give you the overview in terms of what's uh, fundamentally in the agreement for the city. Um, there's a now single parcel of real estate in Windsor Township that is wholly owned by Consumers Power. Um, they are the request is that that be entered or enter the city of Lansing uh, through a 425 agreement. Um, it's written as a 50-year term uh, total, up to 50 years. 25 is the initial period, um, with a, a a renewal of up to additional 25 years if everybody agrees to it. Um, in terms of tax capture and sharing and that kind of stuff, um, the the property uh, and whatever is built there enters into the city of Lansing for millage capture. Everything is uh, taxed at the city's millage rate, um, real property, personal property, income tax, city income tax, I should say. Uh, and then in terms of sharing over to Windsor Township, um, the way it's written is the city would essentially remit to Windsor. Uh, let me back up. Sometimes it's written as we will give you 25% of what we capture or 30% or 50% or whatever. Um, it's written so that whatever Windsor's millage rate is, the city would calculate um, that as it applies to the value, uh, the, the assessed value of this property and would remit the equivalent to uh, Windsor each year, uh, both in terms of the uh, real property and uh, any capturable personal property um, for that year. And I say capturable because you are probably aware that the state is doing its level best to kill personal property tax in the state of Michigan. Um, so, uh, uh, no income tax is shared over to the township uh, under this agreement. Any jobs that are there would be taxed at the full city rate, and the city would retain that income tax. Um, and I should say that applies to both uh, individuals and also corporations. So corporate income tax uh, comes into the city. Um, otherwise, uh, a lot of the stuff that we would normally be worrying about, and that there's no, there are no residents uh, within this area. It's a corporate parcel. No one's going to live there. Um, so there are no uh, concerns or considerations really about who gets to vote where um, and what criminal laws will apply. Um, although I will say that Lansing's apply for um, general uh, ordinance misdemeanor type stuff. Um, so I think that's most of the basics that we usually uh, law gets grilled on. But if you have any other questions specific to the agreement, I'm happy to answer those. Before we turn it over to Carl, I see that Council Member Spadafore has a question. Yeah, Greg, I had a question about um, Windsor's remittance. You sure. said that whatever Windsor's rate is, is that a moment in time, or is it like if they pulled up Lansing Township and needed to buy a fire truck and raise the millage rate, ah. we'd, we'd, we'd recalculate based on their current rates, or is it stuck in 2022's rate? Uh, it's, that's a great question. So uh, in order to pull a Lansing Township, they would have to have the property because when Lansing Township does that, they do it by special assessment, okay. um, not by general millage as passed. So we can specially assess to, as a city, we can specially assess to do things like sidewalks and roads and all that kind of stuff to the benefit of landowners. Um, as a township, they can do special assessments for other stuff, um, like to buy a fire truck. We 
can't and generally don't, um, their millage is whatever capped at, and township millages are generally quite low, single digit, um, not nothing compared to our 19 point whatever, 44 right now, I think. Um, so so they, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be their land to assess that way. Okay. If that but makes sense. The millage fluctuates though, regardless. It could. Sure. It, flu it flu fluctuates okay. in the same way that we, I mean, you could pass uh, at the next budget. You could say, whatever, we're going to have 10 mills this time. Um, I think that would create operating shortfalls, but um, you could, um, and they could do the same thing. They still have a cap um, the way that we do. I don't know off the top of my head what the township okay. cap is, but it's lower. I think, I think you've answered my question. Annually, we would calculate not whatever it is today. Correct. Okay, thanks. Okay, at this point, we'll turn it over to Carl, and then you can introduce who you have with you. And if we have questions, we might stop you during the presentation. All right, thank you, Madam President. So before I get started, I'd like to introduce to you a few folks. Chris Klein from the EDC, you know. And then next to me, I have Brad Crable, who is the Director of Real Estate Acquisition for Consumers Energy. And then next to Brad is uh, Jessica Tramontana, who is a public affairs manager from Consumers Energy. So um, Greg did a good job of uh, reviewing the key parts of the agreement. Um, we're here tonight basically to request that a public hearing be set for the agreement on December 5th. And um, you know, as was mentioned, it's, there's a consumer zones, a 77 acre parcel, which is in Windsor Township and they would like to construct a new Lansing Area Service Center there. Uh, total project cost is approximately $26 million. Uh, the 425 agreement will basically transfer that parcel, not the ownership, but the jurisdiction of the parcel into the city of Lansing, and then therefore the new facility will be paying Lansing taxes, property taxes, and also the employees would be paying the income taxes. And Greg explained how the 425 also specifies how those income sources are split between the township and the city. And also the agreement allows the Board of Water and Light to be able to service that site with water. And so without the agreement, the, the board doesn't service it. And then in other words, the project can't occur because they do have high water needs, so it makes good sense. So it's in the city of Lansing, they'll pay the taxes, they'll be split between the city and the township. Water and Light will extend water to the area and they will buy water and that will be additional revenue to the board and then likewise to the city because of the, the um, return on equity agreement between the city and the board. And also, you know, uh, approval of the agreement, like I said, is necessary for everything to happen. Um, it would take a couple of years, assuming the agreement is approved and executed by both parties, the township and the city, well, then it goes to the state for review by the, the uh, Office of the Great Seal, and then they stamp it at that point, it becomes effective and the property is actually transferred into the city. And at that point, then consumers will move forward to begin to construct the new facility, which will take several years, and Brad can give you a more details on, on the actual project itself. Um, while the new site's under construction, they will remain in the North Lansing location, and that too will be paying taxes. 
to the city and then at, at a point several years in the future then there will be the ultimate move from the old site to the new site and then at that point it frees up the old site for redevelopment now uh, consumers energy as brad can explain they're committed to cleaning up the property to certain standards to make it available for redevelopment so down the road ultimately that property will be redeveloped to question uh, Councilmember Spitzley. Thank you, uh, Madam Vice President. I just, when you mentioned redevelopment to certain standards, I'm seeing on here, and by the way, I support the, the agreement. I'm just asking questions. But um, it says redevelopment uses could include, but not limited to, commercial entity, community center, or park. Does that mean you're going to clean it up to residential standards, or is it going to be cleaned to industrial standards? Well, I would let Brad answer that question. Um, Thank you for that question. It will not be cleaned up to residential standards. However, there's a lot of opportunity when we partner with the city and potential developers where they may wish to continue that on to support a potential pro project on the property. And we look forward to that. Yeah. And, I, and I think I mentioned it to you when I was on the phone. I, I think this is great. One of the things that I would hope is that when you get to this point of starting to look at the redevelopment vision for that site, that you would engage in the community, engage the community, um, not as a final decision maker, but since it is part of that community and it's been a vital part of it, to have them be a part of what that redevelopment vision looks like for the site. Thank you. Right. I had Councilmember Brown raise his hand. Um, well, actually, Councilwoman Spitzley uh, took the words right out of my mouth, so okay. thank you. <laughs> All right. right yes, yeah, a lot of uh, residents in that area have been very concerned right. about the redevelopment, so thank you. And I can add to Brad's answer, too, in terms of, you know, we have the, the Lansing Brownfield Redevelopment Authority, which has tools, too, to help any proposed development that needs to have it cleaned up to a higher level. And also the state of Michigan has funds available, too. So, you know, it's all driven by what the proposed project would be in a little ways down the road. Ultimately, at some point, we'll start to market it, and so will Consumers Energy, so that ideally we'd have a redevelopment project lined up before they move out. But that's going to be a few years down the road. Okay, I have Councilmember um, Jackson and then Councilmember Spadafore. Thank you. I appreciate the cleanup to some standards, but could you clean it up to a higher standard since you're already starting that work? And can you describe the difference? Just because we're gonna, somebody's gonna ask for a brownfield probably in the future, and we're gonna <laughs> all talk about it. And if we're already in there, and you guys are, you know, a multi, however many million dollar corporation, can you clean it up to a higher standard? That's a good question. I'm not sure I'm the best person from the company to respond to that. I can tell you in general, the way we approach cleanup at each of these former manufactured gas plant sites is consistent with how we've aligned with the, the MPSC and our general operating standards. So that's why for this site, you know, if there's a need to go further, we're really going to be looking to partner with that person who's going to execute the project on the property. I think there's a lot of great uses that can happen um, with the standards that we're going to be cleaning up the property to. We've talked about some, a lot of great ideas with 
um, Carl and the mayor on different possibilities, and we look forward to exploring those. But if the use is something else, we look forward to partnering with that developer to see, you know, how how they look to get to the standards they need it. Thank you. I have Councilmember Spadafore, then Councilmember Daniels. Sure, I have a question, and maybe this can't be answered tonight. Um, supportive of the project, I appreciate you all trying to stay in Lansing as much as possible and, and clean up the site and, and work toward a redevelopment. What's the net gain or loss for the city, though, in terms of revenues? Um, obviously, I don't believe Windsor Township is in the BWL service territory for electricity, so we're losing electricity revenue. I assume it's yours, probably. Um, but... Uh, is there, do we, have we quantified the, is this a net loss or a net gain for the city? I mean, obviously, and, and don't throw at me that when we get a brownfield on the site and we have some growth there, that I'm not asking about that. Well, current, current revenue to revenue, is this a net loss or gain from a revenue perspective? So we have been looking at that with help from the finance director from the city too, and it's complex because you have the existing site and then there's an overlap period and then you have the new site. Um, also, there's um, the likelihood that Consumers Energy could come to this council and ask for a personal property tax exemption, which is highly likely. So taking that into consideration, when we look at it over time, it the city is made whole this, through the whole long-term period of time and probably even better, depending on what the redevelopment is, what the commitment is to the redevelopment. Do they do additional improvements out there on site? 77 acres, they've got room for additional expansion. So. There's a lot of things there, but generally we're pretty confident that the city will be made whole or better. And then, of course, the alternative would be that they move somewhere where they're not in the city and then there would be nothing. So, you know, it still keeps them in the city. It keeps a revenue source. We don't foresee a net loss to the city over that period of time. And if anything, there's an upside there, too. Okay, I'm looking behind you and our, our Ms. Kirkland's nodding her head. Okay. She signed off on what you said. I, 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 be I believe you. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you. Councilmember Daniels. Thank you, Vice, Pres uh, Vice President Wood. Uh, just for clarification for the residents, so it would really be seven to eight years before they would even start to see any sort of redevelopment plan on that property now? So we would be looking at um, a move into our new facility in 2026 and turning the property o over to our environmental team to start that cleanup in 27. So you're really probably looking at 2032. So it takes about five years. And, and there's a lot of things contingent in there. We got to get approval from um, the environmental uh, groups and everything that we've done it to standard and, and to move that forward. But in general, we're thinking 2032 is when we should see that um, available. All right, thank you very much. Councilmember um, uh, Brown, sorry. Thank you, Vice President. Uh, so we were talking about cleanup, and uh, Councilmember Jackson, you know, was talking about the different levels. What is the, uh, when you say, you know, the standard, what type of investment are you guys looking at financially? Is that, you know, $1 million, 500000 uh, When you're saying bringing up to standard, what does that financial investment look like? <laughs> I really appreciate that question. I, I do not have that information in front of me. It, it is a substantial amount of cleanup. Um, the manufactured gas plant site it was basically, you know, within the footprint of our current facility. So it is 
pretty substantial, but I don't have that information and definitely can we can bring that information to council as this issue moves through. Thank you, I appreciate that. I think that will put uh, apples to apples, oranges to oranges for you know all the residents in Lansing as well as ourselves. Okay, are there other comments that you'd like to make at this time? I don't see any, so Councilmember Spadafor. Uh, Madam Chair, I would like to move the resolution setting the public hearing for Public Act 425 in Windsor Township. The hearing will be on the 5th of December here in this room under these incredibly hot lights. <laughs> we have a motion before us. Are there any questions or concerns? Just the temperature. Seeing none, all those right. in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, next, we have a resolution for fireworks display um, for Silver Bells. Um, Council Member Spadafore. I have a question. If we don't move this, is there no fireworks for Silver Bells? That's right. All right, then I would like to move the resolution for the fireworks display license for Pyrotechnico Fireworks, Inc. for the City of Lansing's 38th annual Silver Bells celebration. All right, we have motion before us, and we have all the sign-offs as well as the insurance policy um, for uh, this company. So with that, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes unanimously. Uh, Councilmember um, Spadafore. Yes, I'm going to move a resolution introducing and setting a public hearing for an ordinance adding Chapter 291 to establish that Housing and Urban Development Conflict of Interest policy. and. Um, Turn it over to you to tell me who's going to speak on it. It would be December 5th. Oh, December 5th, okay. okay. I didn't know if there was a presentation tonight. Um, is there anyone here tonight to discuss this? I don't believe there okay. is. This is just referral. Thank you. I move the resolution. Okay. And um, this is part, we have talked about this as, as part of HRCS, um, that there needed to be a conflict of interest um policy and they've asked uh hud has asked that it be adopted into a resolution so, or ordinance so uh, with that we have um, a motion before us Are there any other questions seeing none all those in favor say aye aye opposed passes unanimously yes i'd just like to clarify we passed a resolution for what's listed on our agenda for fireworks display for pyrotechnical fireworks and in case anyone's following along it's actually ace pyro llc it does not change the fact that there will be fireworks they were in the tv commercials but the company was different in the resolution than in the header and i'm told the resolution is accurate okay thank you uh council members we have the um city council schedule I will move resolution I, a resolution setting the city council meeting schedule for 2023. All right, we have a motion before us. Are there any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. Um, Councilmember uh, Spadafore. Um, we have a motion for closed session. Yes, and uh, just for the record, we are going into closed session for two separate purposes. There will be two separate um, statements that I'll read, but we'll do it all as one vote. Um, 
So I'm going to start. I would move that pursuant to MCL 15268 sub C of the Open Meetings Act, the City Council will recess into closed session for strategy and negotiation sessions connected with the negotiation of a collective bargaining agreement between the City of Lansing and the Capital City Labor Program, Inc. Supervisory units as requested by the City to include the Deputy Mayor and Chief of Staff, the Chief Labor Negotiator, and the Assistant Police Chief. I would also move that under Pursuant to MCL 15.268 sub E, the City Council recess into closed session to consult with the City Attorney in connection with the following specific pending litigation. An open meeting will have a det detrimental financial effect on the litigating or settlement position of the City of Lansing concerning these cases. Atkinson et al. v. City of Lansing et al. Lynn v. City of Lansing. OPV Partners v. City of Lansing and Stafford v. Klein et al. And in that close session, we'll be inviting Deputy City Attorney Joe Abood and Assistant City Attorney Amanda O'Boyle. Okay, we have a motion um, before us. Um, roll call vote. Councilmember Wood? Yes. Councilmember Spadafore? Yes. Councilmember Spitzley? Yes. Councilmember Jackson? Yes. Councilmember Brown? Yes. Councilmember Daniels? Yes. Motion carries 6 0. Um, we are going to um, recess at this time to go into closed session. Anyone that might be tuning in, uh, it's close to 7 o'clock. Um, we will be starting our council meeting um, later this evening. So please stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you. We call the uh, Committee of a Whole back to order. I apologize for uh, the lengthy uh, time, but we did have some items to discuss in closed session. So um, we are back in session. Councilmember Spadafore. Uh, thank you. Councilmember Wood, I move a resolution for the ratification of the tentative agreement and collective bargaining agreement between the City of Lansing and the Union Capital City Labor Program, Inc. Supervisory Unit for a period of July 1, 2022 through June 30th, 2026. Real quick overview, this is with 44 members of the police uh, supervisory unit. Um, in year one, it includes a 3% increase and a $1,000 signing bonus. The 3% increase is retroactive to July 1. Uh, year two is an additional 3%, year three is an additional 3%, and year four is the wage reopener for the contract. It includes several changes to the collective bargaining agreement, including a multiplier change for the computation of final average compensation, which would result in a savings to the city of, um, in addition to um, making the pension a little bit more attractive in the years 25 through 30, and requiring a 10% employee contribution uh, to the base. We've also added to the list of holidays celebrated um, in, the, in the collective bargaining agreement, uh, Juneteenth and New Year's Eve, removing President's Day. Um, I believe that's the high points. It is a four-year deal, July 1 through June 30, as was mentioned in the motion. All right, thank you. We have a motion on the table. Are there any other questions or concerns? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? <laughs> you did good. We heard you. <laughs> um, and this is a late item, correct? Yes, this will be a late item, so uh, Councilmember um, Spadafore, um, when we have our council meeting, you'll be doing this as a late item. Okay. 
So uh, with that, we are going to adjourn Committee of a Whole, and we are going to take just a two or three minute break and get things switched around to start the council meeting. So thank you. <laughs>